Sunday because it's important for us to know what God has revealed to us in all the different ways that Jesus teaches us. follow, but even examples that cause us to reflect um, reflect on things a little differently. Um, so today we're looking at, as we've been looking at this week, uh, or last few weeks, sort of a march towards the uh, empty tomb, a march towards the uh, time of Jesus' death and resurrection. And so today as we kind of enter that moment, I, I want to ask you this question. Which of the disciples do you identify with? Which of the disciples do you identify with? Now, you may see, notice this clip. If any of you are watching that uh, new TV show, The Chosen, it's got us kind of, those of us that have been watching it, it kind of has us looking at the disciples in a little bit different way. And we've got to realize that, of course, it's fiction. So um, people are bringing up uh, these different characterizations of Matthew or Peter. That's like, well, yeah, that's a little different than I had imagined him. But realize... We've got the text, and everything else that we imagine or uh, begin to think about these apostles uh, and disciples and followers of Jesus, um, we keep bringing up. That's on our own. That, that, that's sort of in us, in our heart, and the Holy Spirit kind of guides us. Um, so today, I, I begin with this question of who do you identify with? Because so often, I think, we look at the more heroic figures. I don't, maybe that's just me or my imagination. But I want to, am I kind of like a Peter? And I kind of like a John? Of course, the Old Testament characters. Am I like an Abraham or a Moses? Or, you know, we, we sort of almost like kind of want to put ourselves in those roles. Well, there's nothing actually wrong with that. Look to Abraham. That was our call to worship. Look to Sarah, those rocks from which you were hewn. Because they are examples to us. They are ones who help us understand. So today, let's begin with this passage that starts in Mark chapter 14. And it says, Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law, uh, they were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and to kill him. We can even stop right there. Do any of you ever identify with the chief priests and the teachers of the law? No, we're not the Pharisees, we're not the Sadducees, we're not the legalistic ones, we weren't the ones that opposed Jesus, we're on the team Jesus. (laughs) I I gotta be honest, I sometimes wonder, would I have been one of those chief priests? Would I have been one of those ones who had, would I have been one of the people who had uh, really secretly loved my traditions and loved it my way? know the law. Who is this new guy? Who is this Jesus person? I wonder. Well, they even said not during the festival, they said, or the people might riot. Because the people, the the, the regular guys, they were responding to Jesus. And in verse 3, we see our first little scene from today. And it says, while Jesus was in Bethany, reclining at the table of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure jar uh, and poured out the perfume on his head. Are you all still hearing me at this point? Yeah, that, the mic's on. 
So I'm going to stay here at the microphone. We'll, we'll, we'll just stay with this today, okay? All right, so very expensive perfume. Not worry about the microphones. That kind of gets in my head for a second. Well, we got to shift back to this. <laughs> very expensive perfume. This was the scene. You've got it captured. The disciples are there. They're celebrating and getting ready to celebrate these big feast days. Jesus knows that his time is short. His time of his earthly ministry is short. And it says a woman comes in and just breaks open this jar. She doesn't even keep the jar. She breaks open the jar and she pours this perfume on his head. The whole thing. Now, if anybody's been shopping for cologne or perfume lately, you know what it's talking about. I mean, it's just that little, you're supposed to just do a little dab, you know. It's not supposed to break the whole thing's open. The aroma must have filled the air. And it says in verse 4 that some who were present, they began to say indignantly. In other words, they were angry, they were frustrated, or they, 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 they were judging her and said, why this waste of perfume? this waste of perfume it could have been sold he says for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor at this they rebuked her harshly um, this obviously what's going on uh, the disciples are upset they're like wait a second we could have easily given this uh, to the poor this and the poor are always before us we have an obligation as Christians to be about making a social justice in the world. We're supposed to be about helping those who are less fortunate. We're supposed to leverage our lives as Jesus gave himself away. We give ourselves to the poor. The disciples' complaint seems to actually be a stewardship complaint, right? It's one that says, what is the most effective way? What is the best way for us uh, to utilize these resources we have? And this woman wasting a whole thing of perfume at one shot seems absolutely ridiculous. And the disciples picked up on that. But Jesus' response is different. Look at verse 6. Jesus said, leave her alone. I don't think I would have wanted to be the disciples at that moment. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing. In fact, the Greek in that context, it really can be translated beautiful or, or, or pretty, gorgeous, but also morally right. She has done a thing that is actually morally good and right and appropriate. This was exactly what she should have done. Jesus goes on to say, the poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare it for my burial. Jesus knows that it's coming. Jesus knows that it's there. Verse 9, and truly I tell you, Jesus says, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what she has been done will be told in memory of her. Brothers and sisters, here's the question about this little story. We often look at this story and we imagine and ask the question, are you like the woman? Are you like the woman who gives everything, pours out your life sacrificially? Are you the woman who does those kinds of things? I'll be honest with you. <laughs> That's, that's a great point and a good one for us. But I want you to consider this morning, are you like the disciples? Are you like the disciples? See, I think we are often like them. I think we are often those who are quick to condemn the worship and the devotion of others. We are very quick to say, they're not doing it right. They're not worshiping in the right way. I, I, I don't like the way that church does it. 
Um, some of you have been following the fact that there was this revival at Asbury College that has broken out. And you can go on the internet and find all kinds of blogs saying, well, is that real or genuine revival? You know, or is that just a little bit of hype and emotionalism? Or is that this or is that this? And I want to say, stop! Let God do what God's doing. As people's hearts are being turned to Him, anytime someone is turning to the Lord, anytime someone is coming back to Him, anytime someone has a new experience with Jesus, I'm excited about it. And let's quit being so quick to say, I don't like the way they do it. I don't like the way uh, what, what's happening over there. Is it just jealousy on our part? Is it self-righteousness? Are we like these Pharisees? Are we like these disciples? Secondly, I think we can be like these disciples and be like these followers of Jesus because we are often closed to other traditions, the things that are not quite our way. I grew up a Baptist, um, and I mean, I'm like old school Baptist. I grew up Baptist, Baptist, like the Baptist of the Baptist. My, my parents were teaching at the seminary. There were certain things we did, and I can remember as a young person going through all the things that were, well, this is the Baptist way and all this other stuff. You know, we don't do it that way. I have a friend who's been challenging me. Have you really thought about the creeds and using the creeds in worship? And I'm thinking... Nope, Baptists are not creedal people. That's how it is. We don't do it that way. We don't use creeds. Or, well, what about saying certain prayers? And Nope, we, I remember being taught, we don't recite prayers. We pray from the heart. And that's the only way to do it. And that's the only... I've actually gotten a lot out of reading some other prayers by some other people. I, there's actually some things that, that some of these other forms and styles, very high church, formal styles, very much, boy, crank out the guitars and let's just sing and raise our hands worship. I've gotten so much out of those different styles of worship um, that it, it enriches me. Are we quick to condemn the other traditions? Are we closed off and saying, oh, that, 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 I can't use that. that, that isn't my way. And here's the real kicker. Do we spiritually justify our positions? Are we using like our own spiritual justifications just to like, like have it our way? And they're really just our preferences. Um, I'll tell you, I, I can remember um, <clears throat> a song that came out not too long ago that people were just all bothered about. And it was said, talked about this reckless God, reckless love of Jesus. And people just, I mean, woo, they were just upset. And I, I kind of like the song, i got to be honest with you. It really moved my heart. And they're like, no, no, but God is not reckless. And I'm like, well, no, God's not out of control. God knows what he's doing at all times. That wasn't the point. The point of the song was God's love that he would send Jesus the heir of all things, the one by whom and for whom the universe was created, he would send Jesus out of his love for you and for me to die a horrific death on the cross? Uh, God, that's not a good deal. Jesus is worth more than dust. We are dust. You can create more people. You can create more galaxies. You don't trade Jesus for someone like me. That was, in a sense, reckless. It was not good stewardship. It was just the amazing, deep, deep love of God. And I can't understand why, why some were so against that song. They felt like it misrepresented me. I'm like, okay, okay, Romans 14, you know, you be convinced in your mind, I'll be convinced in my mind. But here's the deal. Let's be careful because I can do the same things. I can quickly find fault in any song. I can find fault in 
<clears throat> just letting you know, Barry and David, I can find fault in any sermon. <laughs> you get up here, I will find something that you, well, did he say that exactly right? I can find fault every single place, every single time. And the truth of the matter is often my rationale is just me justifying my preferences. Now, brothers and sisters, we need to know God's word, and we need to actually stand for truth and, and, and not allow heresy to creep in. But let's be careful that we are not becoming disciples like Jesus' disciples at this point, or the Pharisees who are becoming the Pharisees at this point, who are so quick that we actually were excluding things that maybe the Lord had included. The disciples were quick to exclude this worship as, this was wasteful, this was inappropriate. I don't even know why women are allowed in here with Jesus. What is going on? And yet Jesus was so quick, leave her alone. She has done what is right, what is pure, what is good. Let's be careful. And I'll be honest, I find myself identifying with those disciples sometimes. Number two, there's Judas. Judas Iscariot shows up in the story. And sometimes, like, we are definitely not Judas, okay? Unless we are. Let's look. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. Wait, what? Then Judas did this? After this scene? Then Judas did this? Yeah. And they were delighted to hear this. They promised to give him money. And so he watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. What in the world could have been Judas's motivation here? Have you ever thought that? You've been traveling around, you've been seeing Jesus perform miracle upon miracle, raise the dead, feed the hungry, heal the sick. You've been seeing this teaching that is obviously with authority and from God. How in the world could Jesus, one of the twelve, one of the entrusted ones, be moved to betray the Lord? Well, there's lots of speculation. Some people think Judas was always a spy. That Judas was always in there for himself. That Judas was always in there to, to make sure this messiahship didn't go too far. Some believe that. I'm not so sure. Some believe that Judas was actually had some kind of noble purpose. That he saw himself like, okay, <clears throat> Jesus, you're not doing this right. You've got to like go ahead and become king here. We've got to go ahead and cause the conflict. You're going to overthrow the religious leadership. You're going to overthrow the Romans. I know what you can do. Maybe you're just lacking a little confidence, Jesus. And <clears throat> don't worry, I'll take care of it. <laughs> I, I'm going to help you out here. I'm going to betray you, and when they come to arrest you, then you can like, you know, zap them or something. You can shoot some lasers out of your eyes. You can what, call down fire from heaven. Whatever you've got to do, Jesus, I'm just going to help you out. Because, Jesus, I probably know best. I probably know what really should happen. And then here, there's this reference to, and they promise to give him money. John, uh, the apostle, one of the ones who was there, seems to think that money was one of the big things. I keep thinking, well, you wouldn't betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, would you? Well, look at what John says in John chapter 12. This is right after the woman breaks open the alabaster jar, right after she pours the perfume. In John's account, he says this, but one of the disciples, he doesn't say all of them, he just says one, one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Verse 6, 
He, Judas, did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and a keeper of the money bag, and he used to help himself to what was put in it. John seems to think it was about the money. That Judas somehow or another got so enamored with, with just wealth that he was willing to betray Jesus for the measly sum of 30 pieces of silver. Anything to betray Jesus is just a measly sum. Anything is just nothing compared to the great worth of knowing our Savior. Anything is just absolutely nothing. But how about you? Do you get enamored with the money? I gotta be honest, I kind of do. It was easy as a younger minister to find, well, <clears throat> oh, I'm taking somebody out to lunch today, but, you know, it's really for the church because I'm ministering to them, so I guess the church could pay that one. Oh, oh, I, I guess, you know, <clears throat> I, I actually knew of a guy who made the rationale that, well, the church could buy my laundry, my washing machine, because I've got to have clean clothes for Sunday. I'm like, we all need clean clothes, buddy. That doesn't count. It's easy to all of a sudden begin to think of the Lord's money as mine or to start cherishing or to loving the money. And somehow I think Judas just got enamored. He was in charge of the money bag and it says, John says, he was a thief and he began to help himself to it. Jesus warns of this trap. Jesus warns of it. Look in Matthew 13. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness, there it is, the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word, making it unfruitful. Guys, we can just be consumed with our finances and our, our money, and it can just choke out the fruitfulness that God wants to have in our lives. Now, some of you might be free from this. i got to be honest. I'm married to one who just, she is good. She's like, God provides. She's got it. She, I'm like, yeah, but if we save a little bit more here. And she's like, oh. <laughs> she doesn't worry about money. But you know, there's other worries. There's other things that we desire. It doesn't have to just be the wealth. In fact, in 1 Timothy 5, an interesting talk about younger women, younger widows. It says, don't put them on the widow's list. Don't put them on the list of, of just where the, the, the women who are going to take care of the ministries of the church. Don't put them there because it says, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they'll want to marry. Now, Let's not think of this as a huge condemnation. What I want to emphasize is all of us have these other desires. Here's some ladies like, they're going to want to marry. Don't put them on the widow's list yet because they might want to get remarried. Don't make them into kind of a nun status or something that they were just devoted to God only because they might change their mind on that. Um, the idea is we all have things that we pursue, whether it's career or fame or other things that might come between our relationship with God. So let me ask you this morning, do you ever identify with Judas? Are there times when you think you know better than God? God, I've got this handled. Here's how we should go about this. Here's what we need to really do. Here's how my life ought to go. God, I know what is best. Do financial concerns typically occupy the top place for any reasons or any decisions you make in your life? The financial piece, right? Does it become your number one? 
or on the next slide, is there something else um, that overcomes your devotion to Christ? Is there something else that, that, that gets in the way, that chokes out, um, that, even that last slide, is there something else that overcomes uh, what you consider that number one thing, uh, Jesus in your life? Something that is a career or relationships or other things that get in the way. Can we be like a Judas, trading Jesus for a little bag of coins? A little something that we thought was so important. Well, this morning I want to invite you to do something. I think that all of us at this point might need to ask for a clean heart. A heart that wasn't so judgmental, so quick to condemn the worship or the practices of others, but to begin to see the, the, the joy in it. Well, maybe all of us need to take some time to see where we've been like a Judas or the Pharisees who have traded God and Jesus for something so simple or so small. Scott's going to lead us in song. It's just creating me a clean heart. Would you just, as we sing this song together, ask God to just make us new again. A clean heart. One that is typically, just typically focused on what God wants and His desire for us. Let's pray together. Thy presence, O oh Lord, 
Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me. And renew a right spirit. And renew a right spirit within us from the inside out. Help us be those that are quick to be like your son. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to be using the center mic uh, throughout uh, the rest of this because we do want to look at the rest of the stories in Mark chapter 14. Because I think there's some other disciples, some other places that really point to us in a direction of how we are to be more like Jesus and places where, well, honestly, maybe we are not very much like him. It says in verse 32 that afterwards, after the, this is now about a week later, um, <clears throat> they had had the supper together that night before Jesus was betrayed. In verse 32 it says, They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed. If the, he prayed, if possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray, so that you will not fall into temptation. And then this very famous line of Jesus, the flesh is willing, but the spirit is weak. Now once more, Jesus went away and prayed the same thing, and when he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy and they didn't even know what to say to him. Returning a third time, he said to them, Are you guys still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Did you see what happened in this scene? Did you see what happened in, the, in this account? What did Jesus say to them? My soul is, is so deeply troubled. I, I, I'm overcome with sorrow. I, I, can you imagine the one you've trusted, the one you have followed, the one you have seen do miracle after miracle, handle every situation, is in such agony and distress in his soul, saying, hey guys, I need you with me. Hey guys, would you stay here, watch with me? Would you pray with me? Would you just hang in? there for an hour or so. I, I just need to be with the Father, and I want you with me. Anybody uh, feel like you got a clue there? Like, oh, this might be important. Oh, maybe I should uh, have a little compassion here. Oh, maybe my empathy meter ought to be up. Maybe I ought to be awake and be alert. Instead, 
they fell asleep. Can you identify with these disciples? Can you? Okay, are you often so absorbed in your own world that you miss the distress of others? I got to be honest, this one kind of gets me. I'm a bit of a complainer. When I say a bit, um, my wife's going, mm-hmm, right? I, I'm a bit of a compl- I, I, I can be one that's like rehearsing all of the big issues, all of the struggles for the church or the struggles in my personal life or the struggles from the, I can, and I can miss the fact that other people have things that are going on in their life that are often much bigger, much more intense, much more serious than me. Can you be so absorbed that you're missing the difficulty that others are going through? I remember on one of our walks that my wife and I take, she said, could we talk about me this time? (laughs) Yeah, too absorbed, too absorbed. Does your heart make promises that are beyond your body's capacity? I I think the disciples were like, yeah, we're there with you, Jesus. We know this is a hard time. I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I am going to watch and pray. Um, I'm going to watch with my eyes closed. I'm going to try this out. You can imagine what went through their minds. I, I'm just going to watch with my eyes closed here. I'm just, I'm just going to lean back just, just a little bit. I'll, I'll, tell me if Jesus comes back, okay, will you? I, what, what's going on there? They, they, they were so quick to just be disengaged. The, flesh is, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is often weak. So often I think we make promises. We try to help. We want to do good. But the reality is we also have to find our limits and know the limits of our capacity. And finally, do you find yourself speechless sometimes? I failed again. I blew it again. I made the promise that I wouldn't fail again. I made the promise I wouldn't cross that line ever again. I promised I would never go back down that path. And there it is. I broke my word. I broke my word to a friend. I broke my word to a brother or sister. Or I broke my word to the Lord. And all of a sudden we find ourselves without anything to say. No excuse. No reason. We knew better. But all we have is the mercy of our Lord. Thanks be to God that where sin increased, grace increased all the more. That when we are speechless, when we have nothing to say, when we stand before him completely like, I I, I don't know why I fell asleep. I don't know why I missed what you had for me. I don't know why I crossed that line that you just told me not to cross. You, like, ten minutes ago, you just went away, Jesus, again. You just said it. How in the world could I find myself there when we have nothing to say? The scripture tells us that in 1 John, that, hey, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who speaks to God on our behalf, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We all need the good news of Jesus. We all need the gospel. We need the fact that Jesus, for Peter, James, and John, who fell asleep on the job, who missed God's op- the opportunity to actually minister to Jesus in his time of need, that these disciples who failed him, he was the one who wouldn't fail them. He was the one who would make up the gap. He's the one who made the difference. I find myself speechless all the time. I'm so glad that I have the good Lord who speaks a good word on my behalf, that his righteousness stands in the gap. Well, finally, today I want you to look at Peter in verse 66. Jesus is now being, he's on trial. 
He's now being uh, accused of all kinds of falsehoods. And Peter was just outside. It says, verse 66, in the courtyard. One of the servant girls was there. She was a servant of the high priest, and she came by, and she saw Peter warming himself, and she looked closely at him. Hey, you were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't understand what you're talking about, he said. And he went out to the entryway. Verse 69, when the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow's one of them. Again, he denied it. And after a little while, those standing near Peter said, surely you're one of them. You're a Galilean. And he began to call down curses. He swore uh, to them, I don't know this man. I don't know what you're talking about. And verse 72, immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him, that before the rooster crows twice, you're going to disown me three times. And he broke down and he wept. Do you identify Peter at all? Are, are you bold in your promises? Oh, Lord, here am I. Send me. God, I want to be used for your glory. Lord, take my life and lead me, Lord. Make my life useful to thee. Do we sing those songs? Do we make those promises? Are we quick to take action? Sure, Jesus, send me in. I'll be the first to volunteer. I'm happy to be a leader. I'm happy to be in charge. I'm happy to be the gifted one. I'm happy. But then when push comes to shove... We deny we even know Jesus. We deny that all of our hope is in him. We deny in public by our actions or by our words that he is the one that is our life. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, If anyone's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, then the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. Brothers and sisters, I think I identify with these guys. I identify with his followers that are quick to condemn the worship and the practices of other believers because they're not my style or my preference. I, I think I'm quick and it's easy to be like a Judas Iscariot who, who the little silvery things, the little sparkly things, the things that so tempt my heart so easily pull me away. I can be like Peter and James and John, the guys who fall asleep on the Lord, who get so self-absorbed in my own needs and my own wants that I don't recognize that others are in trouble and that my life is really better spent helping them out and being on guard, on watch with them. I think so often I can be like Peter, bold and quick to make promises, but often denying Jesus. And how I live. I kind of want to be different. I don't want to just preach a sermon today. I want to be different. I just don't want us to, to fulfill a time slot thing. Well, yeah, we did our worship of God. Check. I want to be different. I want to be like Jesus. You see, in this story, or these set of stories, the first thing we saw our Savior do was defend the misunderstood. He was quick to say, leave her alone. Her worship is good. 
Are we defending the misunderstood? Are we steady when things get hard, when the mission of God gets difficult? Are we steady in despite of the opposition? I want to be the guy that goes to prayer first. When I'm in my deepest struggles, I want to go to prayer first. I want to go to God first. I don't want to complain. I don't want to argue. I don't want to be self-absorbed. I want to go to God first. Jesus went to the Lord first. And finally, I want to be loving like my Savior, who would love even those who would betray and deny him. And going through this sermon this week, I found myself just saying, I'm too much like the other disciples that Jesus had and not enough conformed to the image of my Savior. So as we sing this last song, I kind of want to invite you to reflect with me. Allowing God to speak to you about one of these areas or more where you just need to say, Lord, help me. I want you to take time to confess. You don't have to come to the front, but if you need to, the altar is open. I'm here. Pastor Barry is here. Pastor David. If you need to take time to confess, pull someone aside to say, this is what's not going right in my life. And finally, let's pray for change. It's not just a thing we say in a sermon. But it's a time that our church, at its core, we as individuals at our core, need to say, Lord, change my heart. Hear from heaven, God. Come and bring your difference in me. Bring that restoration. We're going to sing one more song today. I pray that you would respond. If you need to trust Jesus, trust Jesus as your Savior. If you need to just ask for change and confess, you confess. You respond as God is speaking to you. Scott, lead us as we sing.